Amen. It has been an incredible week, a week where we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection and with great joy. We've been able to walk through that. Many of you walk in with us. This morning, we find ourselves on Resurrection Sunday, a day where we look at the day that Jesus conquered death in the grave. I want you to see that with us. And so if you have a Bible, would you grab hold of that? Open it up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you. We'd invite you to take one of those in front of you, and you get a page number on the screen so you can join us there. If you want to use an electronic device and a Bible app you have there, you're welcome to do that as well, longing that God would just meet in that space, drawing us to what He has. Now, if you're with us on the overflows or you're joining us online, please hear the same invitation. Grab a Bible. We really do want you to hear from God this morning really do want his word to be open to us and longing that he would take this passage and and just help us to see it. Now, just as a quick FYI, Sunday mornings as a church, we're actually journeying through the book of 1 John. Uh, We're actually getting ready. Next week, we're going to start in chapter 4, and that might be confusing for somebody. You're like, well, wait a second. Why are we in chapter 2? I thought we already did chapter 2. Yes, we did. Obviously, it's Easter Sunday. It's this resurrection day, but I was drawn to kind of look at it through the lens of this verse longing just to see what God has for us. So we're going back to chapter 2, and yet longing that God would meet us there. So before we dive in, let's take a moment and pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray as well. And simply we want to ask that God would help us to understand what he has for us. I'm going to ask for that, but I'm hoping you would quietly ask it as well, that you would ask God to take his word and make it make sense to you, but beyond that, that the Holy Spirit would just make it connect into your life. So I'm leading, but I'm hoping you're praying as well. God, right now, as we approach this, this moment, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to have your word. I'm so glad that you give it to us to to guide us into your ways and truth. Would you do that right now? Would you give us understanding of that which you would speak to us this morning? Would you help us to hear And Holy Spirit, would you open it up to us so that we comprehend things that are just right in front of us and through this see our world? And then you have such an incredible faithfulness that right now I know that if we would be listening to you, you would help us not just to understand this, but to hear something personal. Then there would be a nugget that would be ours, that we just need to take that home. And I love how individual, how personal that is. I love that you're the one that's doing that but I'm asking for it right now. Would you give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to your church? Would you open up our understanding to comprehend that which you have for us? We ask for it together, and we're asking for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was the day that literally changed the world. That's no overstatement. Understand this. We gather this morning and we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the world. Eternity changed. I mean, the most significant moments in history took place this week and today. It is in that sense bringing incredible change, life and hope. And I long that you would see it. In fact, I want us to look through this verse here in 1 John 2 with really that aim that through a a verse, or even to be honest, half a verse, I I just want you to see. And along that it become the lens with which you would look at the reality of the wonder of what God has accomplished in Christ this day. So you got your Bibles open there, 1 John chapter 2. Let's read there in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So we begin that verse, and I draw your attention to, he says, this is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Quick FYI, just for context, the new commandment is the commandment to love. It's a commandment that Jesus gave the disciples. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have this radical, godly love. It's a powerful reality that's woven all the way through 1 John. And as he's speaking this to him, he says, I want you to have that commandment because it's true. It's true in him, and it's true in you. But then notice what he says there. Because, go back and get it. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, 
because, this is the because, this is the reality, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Wow. Because the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining. God gives us this perspective that lays two incredible, marvelous contrasts that you and I are invited to see, that darkness, and what darkness is, it's on its way out. It is passing away, and yet in contrast to it, the true light, it's already shining. It's already shining, and these realities are held out to us in a simple way. In fact, again, I I think about it. You know, we're going to talk about this in a number of different angles, but really, it's just this simple. If this is what you get, if you could just see this reality right now, everything else we're going to say is just kind of saying it again and again in a way that hopefully you'll, you'll grasp how good this is. But I'm longing that this would just be your perspective, that you would be able to see this. Well, to do that, to see the incredible hope that is found this day, which is the true light that is shining, we do need to talk for just a couple moments about the darkness. Now, I want to preface this and say, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because I, I just know this. I and mean, this is Easter Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. It is a day of hope. It is a day of joy. And I want you to feel that. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk about a little bit of the darkness. Just so that we're making sure we're going to stay there. But I don't want you to get depressed or like, man, this isn't what I wanted to hear. We're not going to stay there. So like, just know that. But let's define it. So what is darkness? I mean, when it says the darkness is passing away, what is that? Well, technically, darkness is the absence of light. That's actually a pretty good statement, some interesting realities there. Yet it's more. It is something that presses against all that is good. In fact, if we think about what darkness is, understand this. Today, Resurrection Sunday, is the day we celebrate hope that changed the world. But the days leading up to this day were the days of incredible darkness, Jesus would say it this way in Luke 22, verse 53. He says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. He spoke those words in Gethsemane, the night that he was arrested, taken to die on a cross just hours later. And he looks at what's taking place. He says, this is the hour of darkness. This is the hour where darkness is at the height of its power. This is the hour where darkness is on display and darkness is moving. So whatever darkness is, if we want to understand darkness, then it has to be on display that very night, that very moment that Jesus is being arrested and the leading up to the cross and Jesus dying there. What darkness is, is fully on display in that moment. So what kind of darkness was there? Well, let me give you a few things. This is not a complete list. You probably could add to this many more than what I add, but it'll be a little bit. At least we can say, okay, it is for sure at least this. Darkness, well, it's the devil. It's the demonic. It's that which is satanic. It is that which kind of works into that. We know that because that really was one of the things that pressed into this moment of Jesus dying on the cross. He says it this way in Luke 22, then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve so that Judas would then betray him. Make no mistake, the devil's real. Satan is real. I mean, there are those who deny it, question it, but the Bible's really clear. The devil's real. And he was very much at work trying to destroy Jesus. So much so that Judas became a pawn in his hand, that Judas, you know, Satan was actually able to enter him that led him to that moment. And much we could talk about in that, but I just want you to see Satan working. Now, that's helpful in that moment, but it's helpful in this moment as well. We'll see it later in 1 John, where it says, we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It says, here's what we know. When you look out at our world, it is in this place where the whole world is lying under the sway of the wicked one, where he is at work in our world. Now, here's my hope that as I say that, that you're not like, I had no idea. Really? I mean, I kind of thought our world was, you know, neutral. You know, I kind of thought, you know, in Wednesdays, no, I mean, I think almost anybody could look at our world and say, man, there's something evil. There's something evil almost behind our world. And sometimes people will want to think it's some, you know, mystical or hidden, you know, movement of people. And maybe there are some of those things, but even that behind those are this. Satan's at work. There's a devil, and he is very much in our world. So that if you could feel the atmosphere of our world right now, you would say the whole world is under his sway. 
that he is moving among the sons of disobedience, it would say in Ephesians 2. It's a very real part of that, and it was in the days of Christ. Well, not only was it demonic and the devil, it was failed politics. Okay, now I just need to preface this and say this right now. Please don't think I'm saying anything I'm not saying. I, I'm not talking about a certain political party. I'm talking about all of politics. Understand this, human rule has always been problematic in our world because people are broken. Everybody's a sinner. So everything about human rule has always been tainted by sin. And yet there's something on display even in this as we watch Jesus go to the cross. We get that moment there in Matthew 27 where it says, When they had bound him, they led him away and they delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Pontius Pilate's the Roman governor, just watching over Israel at this point in time. He's there in Jerusalem, and Jesus is brought to trial before this man who is the Roman governor of the land, and yet he's going to be moved. He's going to be moved by the people. It says they were insistent, asking him to crucify Jesus, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of these men, and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave the sentence that it should be as they requested. Pause and try to gather this. There has never been a greater miscarriage of justice than this. There has never been something that is wrong as the Son of God being condemned to be crucified and to be killed. It happened under Pontius Pilate's watch. He was the one who was administrating that, and he fails He fails in this moment to do what's right. He fails to stand, even though he actually believes it. If you read the whole account, he pretty much knows that Jesus is innocent, but he gives a guilty verdict anyway and condemns Jesus to death. It's a a picture of failed politics. Interestingly enough, it's not the only moment in this story. Yeah, right at the beginning of it, when he was first brought to Jesus, it says when Pilate heard of Galilee that Jesus was from there, he asked the man if he were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Yeah, weird things happening. Not only is Pilate ruling, there's a Herod who's also been given kind of a kingship or a rulership under him and within Israel. So Pilate tries to pass it off. He's like, Herod's here. Send him to Herod. Let Herod deal with this. So Herod questions Jesus on the day he's getting crucified with many words, but Jesus answers him nothing. So then Herod with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Yeah, it's terrible. It's a moment where you look at something that should be just and, and in double kind of pictures in two places, we watch a failure happen that we'd have to look and say, that's darkness. Like that's darkness to watch righteousness supposed to be there to see mistreatment and unfair and lack of justice. Yeah, that's darkness. But it's not just failed politics. We need to add to it that there's a failed religious aspect of it as well. Yet the ones who were pointing to Jesus dying, Matthew 27, verse 1, when the morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Who's doing it? The elders and the chief priests. The most religious people from kind of a worldly perspective in Israel at that point in time. These who are supposed to be representing God are pursuing the death of the Son of God. It's terrible. It's a a troubling thing. It's a part of that. But as carefully and as clearly as I can say it, that's darkness. And it was darkness then. It's darkness now. Saying it in the most simple way, in fact, we'll talk about this more next week as we get into 1 John 4, there is only one God. There's only one God, so every other thing that people worship as God is a lie. It's either demonically empowered or you know, man-created. Jesus is the only way, and nobody gets to the Father except through Him. So every other ism, every other thing in our world is a lie. That's a terrible reality. In fact, it gives us a picture of it in Revelation 18, is it kind of pictures all that this false religious you know, movement has been throughout the world. And it says in her, in this kind of false religious kind of display, is found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. 
I don't want to give you a history lesson, and I won't spend any more time than that, but if you know much about history, you'll know it's true. That in the name of religion, terrible things have been done. You can manipulate, you can lead people straight, and some of the most worst things in our world have happened through this, and it was as Jesus goes to the cross. It is this kind of false religious, you know, just system that is pressing towards this moment, and it's a part of the darkness. Well, yeah, that's certainly true, but then we could add to it more. It's not just failed politics or failed religion, it's failed people. Now, this is a big one. In fact, we've been a bunch of time here, but I'll just highlight a few issues. We think about failed people, and we think about how that works. Understand there's a couple of things that happen as Jesus goes to the cross that are just shocking. One of them is the amount of cruelty that is inflicted upon Christ. I'll just give you just one of the, of the several pictures that are found there in Matthew 27, verse 27. It says, the soldiers of the covenant took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. They spat on him, struck him, and mocked him. If you could imagine it, if you could see it, it's horrendous. It's shocking. And it wasn't the only time. This happens at least three times as Jesus has tried. Happens under the religious leaders, then happens under Herod, and then happens under Pontius Pilate. On top of that, he's scourged. And you would look at all that this was, and it's a shocking moment. It's one of those moments that as you're watching this happen and you're watching how bad this is, it it would almost just move you by, by like, wow, I can't believe that happens. But understand this, that's not the only space. I mean, some of you get it, right? Some of you are living in the world we're in right now, and so you're watching the news of things happening maybe in Ukraine. And some of you can't stomach it. I get it. It's fine. (laughs) But some of you are watching it, and one of the shocking things is how horrible people can be. Like, it's almost like you just watch them, and a switch flips, and all of a sudden, some of the most ugly, vile, cruel and evil things will happen from one person to another. It's a shocking thing. But the reality is the more you know about this is you and I are not far from it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a wild thing to watch how broken people can be and in a moment it could switch it. And yet that's part of the darkness that is flowing into Christ on this day that's coming against Jesus on this day. So cruelty is happening. We could add to it betrayal. Hard to even unpack this, but it is one of the hardest things to go through. Yeah, we know the story. Judas, who is one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest followers, comes and betrays Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? As Judas gives Jesus up to be crucified, as he turns against Christ, it's one of the hardest things to walk through. Some of you understand it. I don't have to kind of walk through it, except you would say, that is hard. When, when you find people that you trusted in, you believed in, and they, and they stab you in the back, That's one of the hardest things to go through, and Jesus is going through it. It's part of the darkness. It only gets worse when we watch the entire mass of people become to just move against Jesus. I mean, you guys know the scene, right? As they, there before Pontius Pilate, just began to just chant, crowd, crucify him, crucify him. As you read all the Gospels together, it just seems like it just takes a movement so the whole crowd with one voice, and if you could walk around it, you would say, what just happened? How did that happen? How could ever, I mean, it's heartbreaking to watch the majority all of a sudden shift into something so evil. And yet it happens in our world as well. We watch things. We think, how does it happen? How does, how does, how does so many people at the same moment, it's a scary part of the brokenness of our world. It's a scary part of the darkness that's there. And yet it is even more personal than that. In the midst of all the things that make failed people, one of them would have to just be, you know, the absolute weakness of people. That's probably not a strong enough term. But I think about it this way. Jesus is there, and he's speaking to his followers, the disciples, and he says to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. It's one of those hard realities. He looks at his closest followers and says, not one of you is going to stand strong. Every one of you is going to fail. Every one of you is going to betray me. And if I can say it kindly, it's true of you and me. There's not anybody here that's like, well, I'm so glad that it's not me. I'm so glad Jesus can count on me. You know, I would never betray. I would always, I mean, one of the broken, dark things of the world is the darkness that's inside of us. Our own failures, our own just like, ah, I didn't want to do, oh. 
and you watch this, and yet all of that moves into this moment, these waves of darkness that are coming against Christ that's demonic and political and religious and people failing. And then we would just add to it and, and, and just think about all of it, and I'll just say it's pain and death. Without spending a bunch of time on it, um, what Jesus goes through on the cross is perhaps one of the greatest displays of pain in the world. I don't know if you've ever said it. I don't know if somebody, you know, kind of asks you, maybe you go through pain, maybe you throw out your back or something like that, and somebody like, well, how's it feel? And you're like, it's excruciating. I don't know if you ever have said that. I don't know if it's a word in your vocabulary, but it's an interesting word. If you didn't know, the word excruciating comes from the Latin word that literally means out of the cross, uh, that it's excruciating, like at, from the cross, and it's as if acknowledging that it's, it's a massive pain. And without, again, just packing it, just further detail, that's how the cross is. The cross that the Romans used against Jesus was one of the most vile means of torture. It is rated among those who would study these things, saying it's probably the most pain that anybody can endure. There's not something you sit there and go, well, that's, you know, you know, Jesus went through pain, but, you know, I have been. It's like, no, he went through pain. I mean, agony that led to this moment. And he dies. He dies. Tells us there in Luke 23, it says, And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He dies. Death is darkness. Death is darkness. I mean, death itself is that. It, it tinges, it feels that. And so certainly it's true in Christ. And all of this came against him. Okay, we're not going to stay here, but I just want to say, you know, somebody like, man, this is not a lot of fun, Jim. I thought we were supposed to be excited. This is Easter, and boy, this is just like sad. I mean, it's kind of sad to watch all these things. Yes, it is sad. It really, really is sad, and we're going to move to hope here in a moment, but before we go there, I want to just pause and say this. I don't know how you're seeing it. I don't know how you're perceiving all that's here because I want you to understand this is the way we're supposed to look at it, that we get this verse there in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8 again in your text. You, if you want to look at it, if not, it's really on the screen there as well. He says, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. How are you doing handling the darkness? See, our world is dark. I mean, it's really dark. In fact, it may be getting darker. There is something said to that statement that it gets darkest before the dawn. And I really do believe that we're close to Jesus coming back. And if that's true, there is a sense that our world is again so tinged with darkness. And I'm wondering how you're handling it. Here's what I think would be true for some of you, because I've had this same conversation dozens of times in the last year or two, where I sit down with somebody and we're just talking, and they'll say something like this. It's like, Jim, I can't hardly stomach it any longer. You know, I used to watch the news, and yet every time I watch the news now, not only because it's just they're always sensational, but it's so dark that it just leaves me to depress. So I've actually had to kind of limit my news access. Like, I only let myself look for so long. Like, I have to say, like, you can handle it because too much will leave you just dis- dis- in despair. And they're like, man, I have to just, it, the world is so dark that I have to limit how much I look at it. Some of you, it's not just the news, it's social media, and it's like, I just can't stand much of it. I mean, you just find yourself so aware of the darkness. Now, again, maybe not all of you feel it that way, but I know many of you do, and it might even be comforting to know you're not the only one. It's like, man, it's dark. But here's what this passage is telling us. Contrary to what you might feel, Contrary to sometimes how it looks, the darkness is not going to last. It is not going to win. If you could watch it, if you could see it, you would just sit there and say, no, it's not going to be there. It's going to move away. It's going to come to an end that as we think about everything that's there, you would look and just say, you know, all of this is moving away. And the reason is, again, because of Christ. The reason is, again, because of who he is, that he's the one that came. Think about it this way. So John 3.16, you guys all know it, right? Most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God looked at our brokenness and said, I'm going to send you my son. I love the world. I want to send my son. But maybe what I want to make sure I say is because what John is going to tell us here, what Jesus tells us here, is don't misunderstand this. 
it's not Jesus's fault. It's not that because of Christ that the world is going to hell or, or falling apart. No, he was the answer. The very next verse says it this way, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. It's not that Jesus came to break the world. It was broken already. So much so that he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we think about this brokenness. We think about everything that's there. Understand this. We get incredible hope today. We get to think about incredible things, but Christ is the hope of it. But it's, it's, it's not that his coming broke it. We were already so broken, and he dove in. He entered into our darkness. He entered into our world to rescue us out of that so that as we get to today, as we get to this place where we get to celebrate the resurrection, as we get to celebrate this, darkness was defeated. I mean, it's incredibly good news. Would you imagine it with me? I mean, I, I love just to think about it. Today is resurrection day. It is that day that we think about Jesus rising, and we get the account in Matthew 28. It says, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I don't know how good of an imagination you have, but I'd just like you to try for a moment. There it is that Easter morning, that resurrection morning, the sun begins to dawn. They begin to come, the followers of Jesus, not because they've believed, they should have believed, but they didn't. But then the earth begins to shake. I mean, it just, I mean, if you've ever been through an earthquake, that's just disorient. like just, it's just, everything begins to move and they, they feel it. They gaze over there and then all of a sudden an angel shows up and he just throws away the stone. I mean, he just moves this stone that probably one and a half, two tons in, in movement, just, just moves it away and sits on it. I mean, all in shock and they get there and then the angel just speaks to them, speaks to those who come and just simply says, he is not here. He is risen. And it's a good news. It's as if just saying, guys, I, this day is there. I just want you to sense that again. In fact, let's do it again, right? So we're going to do the little greeting thing. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He really is. I mean, he really, really is. I mean, there is this incredible moment where we get to see this, that we get to come into this space and say, he is risen. And that changes everything. Because if you could see through this lens, then you'd look over all that was darkness and you would say, it's passing away. It's as if you could watch it with me, and you would say it's moving. It's moving away. Why? Because of what Jesus is. We think about it this way. It says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. I love this. So we think about light. We think about all that that is. And Jesus just simply lets us know, and he makes this clear statement. He's the light of the world. He's not a light. As we think about darkness on one hand this morning and we think about light on the other, Jesus is the light. He is, he's not just one among many. He is the only light in our world. In fact, it was this way when John's gospel begins unpacking it. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So you can imagine this for a moment. He says, here's this thing. Here's the light. It is penetrating. It is shining in the darkness. And the darkness can't comprehend it. That's an interesting word, that word comprehend. In fact, it has a multi-faceted kind of understanding. Uh, one of the translations of the Bible is called the Amplified Bible. And it does its best to bring out uh, words when they have more than one nuance to it. So it does so here. It would translate this verse this way. And the light shines on in the darkness, for the darkness has never overpowered it, never put it out, or absorbed it, or appropriated it, and is unreceptive to it. Yeah. It says that the darkness, it can't stop it. It never has, never will. It can't, it doesn't understand it, but neither can it do anything to stop it, because he is that light. That light is what we celebrate today. First Peter would say it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. That's a, another way of saying we have light. That the light that is ours is hope. It's just living hope. And what Peter tells us is what I'm doing my best to tell you now is that light is because of the resurrection. 
That living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because He rose, we have light. Because we rose, there's a joy that is ours. Because we rose, we could look at everything that darkness is and say, it's just about gone. If you were just to watch it and say, it's as if it's fading away. And the only thing he says is going to last is that which Christ has done. That the light is already shining. That what Jesus did on this day, it it, it is that which conquers darkness. It is that which is going to last and the darkness is not. Now, I love that, and and maybe that's enough all by itself, but let's quickly walk back through it. Because I talked to you about darkness and and things that darkness is. Can I just point out to you that in Christ, those are defeated, and they're going away? So we think about the devil. He's real. We think about that which is demonic, and it was through the cross. It was through the cross that Jesus defeated him. It was through the cross. It says it this way in Colossians, that the cross, having through the cross, having disarmed principalities, and powers. He, that is Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He says, when you look at the cross, which Satan was doing everything he could to do, Jesus beat him. The cross conquered him. It was through the cross that Satan is defeated, so that now he is defeated. And we look forward to that place where his influence will never be again. In fact, Paul would say it this way at the end of Romans. He says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. I mean, it's like, it's like Satan's almost done. And, 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 you're, and you'll never be involved in that again. You'll never see it again. The book of Revelation tells us that he's going to be cast into hell, not as one who oversees hell, but as his chief victim. He's going to be done. There's an incredible place where he just wants us to know that when we look at what darkness is today, it's temporary. The devil's going to be defeated. Politics is going to be defeated. All that men do is going to dissipate. One of my favorite images of this is in Daniel chapter 2. And if you're unfamiliar with the whole account, you might want to read it one time. Nebuchadnezzar then gets a king, the dream, gets a vision of both his kingdom and then all the successive worldly kingdoms. And it goes all the way to the end times, to the time where Jesus is going to come back. And he kind of sees all the world empires as a statue as a man-made statue that man has kind of been enthroned, and, and, and he just gives it to us this way. He says, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in, into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. Now, I don't know if this works for anybody else. It's just one of my favorite pictures. Works really good for my brain. It says there's this statue, and it's multi-metals. There's a picture of different kind of worldly governments that are going to come. And he says, then there's a stone cut out without hands, which is Jesus. And when he comes, he's going to come instead of a kingdom that will never go away. And he says it strikes that that statue and its feet. And when it does so, they're crushed. And it becomes like chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carries them away. It says no trace of them was found. I just want you to think about it for a moment. Now, again, I probably should say this. You know, it's not an insult if you're involved in politics. I'm not, you know, in any way like, oh, it's terrible. I mean, that's part of our world. We have to have it. But it's such a joyful thing to recognize because we mess everything up. It is so tainted. There's not any worldly system that isn't tainted by human brokenness. And then to look at it and say, it'd be gone. It's going to be gone like that, like chaff, it's all gone. We're going to look forward to a day when Jesus will come and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he'll be the one. And it's an incredibly glorious day that that is what today is about, a day where we look at this and say he is the one who reigns victoriously. He's the one that's going to bring this about. He's even going to bring an end to all false religious systems. There in 2 Peter, he says it this way. He says, there, there will be false teachers among you who will bring on themselves swift destruction. Sadly true. And there in that picture at the end of the book of Revelation, which is hard at times to understand for some, but it's a picture of almost all religious systems that have ever come, every lie that is ever perpetrated upon mankind to give a different way to God. And he says, all these things, sorry, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. 
For the true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth with her fornication. And God pictures all of these religious systems as a harlot that has just led people astray and drew them astray, and they're just saying, it's done. I mean, it's done. It's never going to happen again. There's never going to be another lie. Nobody's ever going to find themselves believing a lie and being trapped by something, which is incredibly good news. But he's even overcoming failed people, all the different things that are people. One of the verses I love is there in Peter where it simply says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're looking forward to a place where it's just going to be right. And can I say it to you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be in that place. And you'll never fail God again. Righteousness. We'll do what's right. We'll sin and its failures and its mark of human frailty. We'll never be a part of it again. That is part of the hope of today. Uh, of all that Jesus is doing, we're looking to a world where righteousness dwells. And pain and suffering, it will go away. It will all end as we think about pain and sorrow and death. We, we, we just think about those realities and we think about how it tells it to us this way in the book of Hebrews, that through death, Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In so dying, Jesus defeated death so that for you and I, now we're looking forward to it. Corinthians unpacks it this way and says that last enemy that will be destroyed will be death, like we're waiting, but it's going to come. Because Jesus rose, which is what 1 Corinthians 15 is about, death is going to be defeated entirely. So we could gaze forward to the book of Revelation, and it will say, so God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It's good news. That is good news. And, and as you're thinking through this again this morning, here's what I'm wanting you to see. All of that is because of this. Everything that is hope, everything that is light, everything that is life explodes out of the tomb of Christ. That as light begins to pervade the world, it's as if you could understand all of that's coming because of this, because Jesus rose. Because he rose, this idea that you would look upon all that darkness is and you would say, it's almost done. All of this darkness is fading away, and the only thing that's going to be remaining is Christ. And the only thing that's going to be remaining are those who are His. That's the hope of what today is about. It's really good news. I, I don't know if I'm communicating it well. I don't know if I'm connecting it like I want to, because I just want you to understand, sometimes we, we can almost lose sight of it. We can think, okay, you know, Easter, that's kind of one of those things you do at church, you know, and you're supposed to do, and yeah, I think you're supposed to be excited. And you might miss, no, like life. All of life, what makes life, I mean, it's, it all explodes from this moment. It's the great joy. It's, it's ours. So let me ask a different question. This is true. The darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. Why has it not passed away yet? If the true light is shining, if the entire cost of our salvation has already been paid, if Jesus' death and resurrection are as complete as they are, why is the darkness not gone yet? Well, that's a fascinating reality. It's one of the things that theologians will give a, a term to and say, you know, we live among the days of the already and the not yet. That in one sense, it's both because it's already done. We're not waiting for something else to bring in the fix for our world. It's already been done. The price is fully paid. Jesus has already won. He's already rose from the grave. I mean, everything that is life and hope has already been accomplished. There's not anything left there, but it's not yet fully being enjoyed. It's not yet fully there. Hebrews would say it to us this way in that passage we were reading a moment ago in chapter 2. It says, For in that he put all in subjection under him, that is under Jesus, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now. We do not yet see all things put under him. Since Jesus, he conquered, everything's under him, but we just do not yet see it. We don't yet see it. I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, darkness is still here. Satan is still working. Pain, sorrow, and suffering are still a part of our world. Why not? Well, can I give you one answer to that? That is what the Bible gives us, that one of the reasons that 
we still live in the days where there is darkness and it hasn't yet been moved away. Second Peter says it this way, consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He says, here's how I want you to think about it. Every day we wait. Every day we wait for, for, for all this to come to pass. It's because God is saving people. It is because God is rescuing people. Do you know that? Do you understand that the reason why you get to celebrate Easter, resurrection of Christ, here in 2022, is because God is still saving people. He's still in the business of rescuing people. Now, don't think that that's going to go on forever. The Bible's really clear. It tells us there in 2 Peter, no, it is going to come to an end. I find myself thinking of how he gives it to us in Genesis 6, before the, the flood. He said, the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. He says, I'm not going to put up with this forever. I will judge. Which is exactly, by the way, what Peter is referencing there in 2 Peter. He says, if we can understand the flood, then we can understand what's coming. He's not going to put up with it forever, but he is right now. He is. He's doing it right now. The reason we're still here, the reason there's still darkness is because God is bringing people out of darkness. He's taking people who were a part of darkness and he's bringing them out of darkness and he's transforming them into light. That's what he does. I mean, that's what he does. I mean, that's what he's in the business of doing. That's what he's in the process of doing today. I think about it this way in Ephesians. It would say it too is this way. For you, were once darkness, but now you are light on the Lord. So can I just speak to you personally? If you're a follower of Jesus, I mean a real follower of Jesus, where you've been born again, you have a relationship with him, he's just reminding you, you were darkness. That's what you were. You might not have totally comprehended it at the time, but outside of Jesus, it's not just that you were in a dark world. You were darkness. But now, in Christ you are made light. Now you are light. In fact, I like the way Peter would say it in 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's who you are. I mean, that's what you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you and I get to kind of come and recognize, hey, this is what we are. This is what he does. This is the reason that we're still here. This is, the, this is the point of this, is that we get to tell people and shine this marvelous light. In fact, let me put it to you in a different way. When Jesus calls Paul the apostle to begin following him, he would tell him, and Paul recounts the account in Acts 26, where Jesus speaks to him and says, Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a servant and a witness. Paul, I have a plan for your life. I have a plan for your life. I, I, I've changed you, but I have a plan for you. You're going to serve me, and you're going to shine for me because I want you to turn. I want you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. He says, Paul, this is what I want you to do. I want you to help them to turn so that people would hear that. That back in the words of Ephesians that we were reading a moment ago in chapter 5, it says, therefore, he says, you who, are, who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So very simply, I want you to think about it this way. We live in days where darkness is going away. Darkness is going away. But it hasn't yet gone away. And for some of us, we could understand how good news that is. Because here's the deal. Had Jesus come back a year ago, five years ago, for some of you, you wouldn't have been here. For some of you, you would have still been in darkness. And yet God has waited for this moment, and he's still waiting. So I just want to speak now to you who may be in that space, that maybe you're in this place this, this morning, somebody has brought you here, and yet here's the deal. You're living in darkness. And, and, and maybe you didn't know it, or maybe it's becoming clear to you, but I want you to hear me as clear as I can say it. The darkness is passing away. That which is darkness, it is not going to last forever. So, silly way to think it through, but it's going to land for somebody. So, if this was a video game, and I know not everybody's going to track with this, so, but just I understand, but if this was a video game for some of you who play, play video games, it would be one of those games that all of a sudden you'd be standing, you know, you're kind of playing your little character and you'd be looking at the floor and it's beginning to pixelate. And you know, it's like, I need to move quickly. 
or game over. You know, because the floor is about to drop out. It's about to disappear. And if I'm standing there, I'm done. That's exactly where we are. That's exactly where we are. And some of you are standing in the darkness and you don't realize how dangerous it is. Change the illustration. Maybe it'll work for somebody else. I think about things like the Titanic. And if you guys know the, the account, there it is, is it's struck by, by that iceberg and it begins to sink and there's no doubt it's going under, but it lasts for two and a half hours. For two and a half hours, it's there. You're still standing. You still have a place to stand, but it's going. It's going down. And, and the deal is, if you don't get rescued, you're going with it. That's where we live. The world's going down. Darkness is going away. And yet Jesus has come. He is the lifeboat. He is the rescue. He's the one that is stretched out into this world to pull people out of darkness into the light. And he's just, he's pleading with you today as I'm doing my best to plead with you. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, and you're in this space or you're online, I just pleading with everything that's in me that you would see this because I'm telling you, darkness is going away. If you're standing in that space, it is going away and you will go with it. Well, let me say it in a different way. We just looked at those words from Jesus to Paul, and again, I want to say them to you, that right now he says, here's what I want you to do. Open their eyes. Open their eyes. Make them see it. Make them see it, and if they would see it, you would turn them. You would, you, would, you would rescue them. You'd rescue them from this place where their eyes would be open. You would turn them from darkness to light. They would, they would move. You would rescue them from the power of Satan and bring them into the power of God. You need to bring them into this place where they will receive forgiveness of sins and have a place uh, among those who are sanctified by faith in me, which is heaven. So here I'm speaking to you who don't know Jesus, and I'm longing today that somehow I've made it sense that you would understand that our world is dying. Darkness is so much a part of this world, but it does not going to last forever. It is not going to last forever. And, and today I get to tell you that, and if I could help you see it so that you would turn from darkness to light, and he can do that. He can rescue you. If you're in that darkness, he can transform you and make you light. He can rescue you from Satan's power and bring you into his and bring you forgiveness so that your sins, all of them, can be forgiven and you'll have a space in heaven for you. I mean, that's what he's offering today. That's what we get a chance to offer. And if you don't know Jesus, that's what we're offering to you. In just a few moments, we're going to close and I'm going to give you a quiet moment to pray and if that's you, I'm just inviting you today to surrender your life to Jesus. It's not a transaction that you need to make with me or us as a church. It's with Jesus. And I'm pleading with you to cry out to him to be your savior, that he would radically and genuinely save you, that you would see these things and you'd plead with him to bring you out of that darkness into light. And I'm telling you, that's what he's offering you to do. That's what today is about. That's what the hope of Easter is about, is that he does this. So in just a moment, we're going to give you that space to pray. But I want to return to you and I that know Jesus. See, this is what he's doing, and this is why you're still here. God, in this passage, Jesus is speaking to Paul and says, I have a plan for your life. I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to be one that, that shines the light into this world so that people can get saved. And that's exactly what God is longing for you. In fact, Jesus would say, in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world, which is a crazy thing. Now, technically speaking, he's the light. We just reflect the light. But the reality is, he says, you have the only hope in this world. You're the only thing. Everything else in this world is only going to lead people into destruction. You should shine. That's why we're still here. That's why we're still here, that our lives would become reason for people to believe. And so if you know Jesus, I would long for you on this resurrection day to, to see this and say, God, shine this through me. Like I'd, like, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be one that's a part of seeing people's eyes open to, so that they're moving from darkness to light, that they would come into this space because here's the reality. This is exactly what today is about. And it's already working. The true light that is Christ, it is already shining. Wow. 
So let's end there. You can close your Bibles, notebooks if you have them open, and I'm going to give you that moment just to pray. And again, it's a moment, if you don't know Jesus, for you to surrender, for you to say, you know, yes, now, Jesus, rescue me. And if it's you who know Jesus, it's now for you to say, okay, I, I want to make sure that this is the way I see it, that I, I look at our world and say, okay, the darkness is temporary, the light is shining, but I'm here to shine that light. I'm here to reflect that light. So on this resurrection day, would you just spend a couple moments, talk to him about that. I'm going to do the same thing. Just, just taking this moment to ask God to be at work in us, and it really is that space that we want to give you. Again, if you're visiting this day or new, you know, we often end our services this way because we're really aware in the next moment you're going to get up and your brain will just shift into something else. So before you do it, take a moment. Just talk to God about what he's talking to you about, and we'll close and worship together in just a moment. Jesus, you really are the light of the world. Today we celebrate it. Today we celebrate that through the resurrection, you changed everything. So the light is already shining. God, I pray that that's exactly the lens with which we're able to see our world. It is dark. There's a lot of darkness in our world, a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain a lot of betrayals. Satan's very much moving in our world, but it's temporary. It's passing away. I believe you. I believe that that's all going away. And there's a day coming that we're going to stand with you. We're going to be where that place, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sin. Gosh, it's going to be so good. I'm really looking forward to that, Father. But today, you're still saving people. Lord, I pray that's happening here in this room. Those in our overflows online. And yet I'm praying around our city right now. And just literally around the world. That today you would be drawing people to you. Out of darkness, into the light. Rescuing them from Satan. Bringing them into forgiveness. Into a place that heaven is their home. God, do it again. Do it today. Rescue as you are a saving God. Thank you that we get to celebrate that today and celebrate you on this resurrection day. Thank you for this hope. May we know it. And for those of us who are yours, may we shine it. May we be those who reflect your light into this broken world so that people would be saved. We ask for it now. In Jesus' name. Amen.